were you saying about that's my a, beloved professor? I was saying, I was saying you shouldn't diss him like that. That's what I was saying. Oh, no. like, how can you say that about him? We were just, uh, we were just reflecting on that a time in. Oh, wait a minute. I keep my mic over here. Let me hear me. <laughs> I, uh, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> we just, those wonderful times. There were like these little uh, moments of glory, you know, at, 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 we, every time Jim Renahan comes down to New Zealand, he's coming down. We're all very, well, I'm very excited that he's coming down this <sighs> year. Nick is like going to another country, so he doesn't even care. But uh, it's our annual pilgrimage. You know, we go and we go and hang out for a week and experience like a little Geneva there. And, um, yeah, we've, we've seen some action, you know, we've, uh, we've, Jim Rennie has spoken in Afrikaans. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he has, you know, said some things that we won't talk about he's, in Afrikaans. He's ex- excommuted me from the reformed community. Yes. So Nick is, um, <laughs> you know, he's going to be especially sus now that we, uh, that, that he's bailing this year, but you know, it's, it's sort of an in and out thing, but yeah, this is coming up. So we're all very excited about that. And, um, and that I don't even know how that leads to anything we're going to talk about now. But anyways, that's just cool. Well, it does. It does lead to symbolics and the fact that the all the confessions are suspiciously silent on the matter of angels. Ooh, nice save. Good segue. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yes. Well, that is an that's interesting. Crazy. That is a good point. I will bring that up. I will bring that up. There we go, Jim, if you're listening, which is not. <laughs> well, I actually went through all the confessions that I have here. And there's okay. only two that make a statement: the Second Helvetic and the, and the Belgic on angels, and they're minimal, absolutely minimal. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. that would be reflective of the problem, wouldn't it be? Um, in some ways, mm-hmm. just just that whole omission of anything. I think it's the Protestant rash, you know, that we've just basically mm-hmm. we've tried to stay away from all of the abuse, all of the superstition, and you know, it just seems like you can't put your foot in the subject without ending up in some some bizarre place you know so you can understand why people have gone that way but it it's not really a good thing ultimately and i think it does need to no. be dealt with especially for me it's less about angels and stuff and it's more that it, it leaves you feeling awkward with biblical texts that's what i don't like about it so so basically you know there you are like i've been preaching through hebrews recently and my goodness, I mean, you know, it's not a nice feeling when your whole sort of like tradition has really omitted like a lot of what's in that book, <laughs> you know, in terms like of the, the angels em- delivering the law, that part. Well, just the emphasis in general, yeah, well, you know, he's just like constantly bringing up, uh, he's bringing up angels all the time, you know, and 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 saying things in ways that are really slightly uncomfortable for um, for Protestants, I think. I don't know, for me anyway, I mean, let me just, for me, you know, it's uncomfortable. I haven't really thought that deeply in that in that area. And, um, and I suppose I just do, I, I'm a product of that whole thing, you know, and then I'm, I'm just, um, you know, I'm wanting to avoid it because I don't know much about it and I don't want to say anything weird and I don't want to end up, you know, reinforcing something that's like, you know, ultimately just not what he's saying at all. And I suppose actually what it comes down to is this hermeneutic that I've tried to live by, uh, which I still think is a good one. And I, I would highly recommend that everyone else does this as well. But but basically that you let the obscure be interpreted by the clear, you know, yeah. there's tons of obscurity and you just can't let that interpret the, the you know, have, have sway over the clear text. So, but there is a way that you can sort of sweep things under the rug like that too. So, um, you know, you got to be careful. Um, but that in turn, yeah, I think, yeah, go for yeah. it. No, I think it's just adding on that, building on that. For me, mm-hmm. I think it's in our, in our generation, 
um, people are crying out for some sort of meaning and some sort of, you know, we live in such a demythologized world, such a mm, disenchanted mm. world that people are crying out for it and they're looking for it in all kinds of weird places. And actually angels, while, while it might be like in our kind of conservative evangelical or reformed evangelical circles, mm-hmm. we don't really talk much about angels, but the world talks about angels all the time. Like there are mm-hmm. TV shows about it. There are books about it. There are, mm. I mean, there's something like what was the statistic I was reading in, uh, Tim Chester's just brought out a tiny little book on angels, and he says eighty percent of Americans believe in angels. And mm. um, isn't and it one of the it? things that Jesus spoke more about than anything like mm. money, angels? It's like it was up there. Yeah, yeah, I remember something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, which is another you know weird point. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, I just think yeah. it says that it's about it's about we don't we, we want to provide. I mean, the Bible does provide such a rich worldview. Mm. of what the world is actually like that I think, um, you know, is, is what we crave because we kind of in our deep subconscious know that it's true, mm. you know? And, and so I think, I think just being able to come to terms with that and just re-enchanting the world again, or, or just. Yeah. My, my experience has been pretty bad because I mean, being in the, when I was in the charismatic church, everything was Arminian. Now, when it came to healing, you know, if you had, thought a bad thought that day you know you 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 scuppered your own ability to heal anyone else because your own holiness is what drove drove you healing and the angels now you order the angels around to go get your money you know so that you can experience blessing the word of faith teaching and then you've got the uh the whole uh principality and power movement i mean i i had a friend whose parents used to run it and when he was 11 years old you know we uh we uh, i joined this group being charismatic as i was you know very enthusiastic this is the new way to make sure the gospel is effective and brings revival. And so I, I joined this group and they were sort of, they brought together a mishmash of a number of bad teachings. So the one was this, you know, Jesus couldn't cast the demon out until he had the demon's name, Legion. So therefore we need to, we need to pray and fast until the Holy Spirit reveals to us the name of the principality and power over the area. So I used to go evangelizing at the Rainbow Waterfront in Johannesburg. And the name of the uh, principality was Osmodnigo. And so now we could finally bind Osmodnigo and we could walk into that area. And my, my friend was around 11 years old. I was in my early 20s at the time. And uh, he he would go in with a bow and arrow and he would shoot his bow and arrow at buildings. And, and the Holy Spirit would bless his arrows to, to pull down the principalities and powers so that the evangelists who came in after him could actually preach the gospel and, and be effective. This could only happen in South Africa because if you went around with a bow and arrow... <laughs> Yeah, in the UK, you'd be arrested like on the spot. Well, wasn't it like a invisible bone arrow though? No, no, it was his uh, real bone arrow. Legit, yeah. <laughs> no it's a little sucker in. Like he was nailing dusties when he wasn't <laughs> shooting angels. You know? Wow, that's. You know what I said the other day about you starting spiritual off well? warfare at another level, guys. Come on. Yeah, no, seriously. Uh, I forgot. I just keep forgetting that. I think what I do. I think what it is is perceptual blocking. You tell me those stories, and then I block them out immediately. They're just too traumatic. So you have to tell me again, just so I can remember. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's rough, Nick. That's rough. I think I think you can't. I think you're out of this conversation. I don't think you're going to be able. To... <laughs> trauma too much trauma but but that is the that is the other side of the problem isn't it that is the other so so even if you've not had the had the pleasure (laughs) (laughs) of such an experience i mean we are all of us also we've got an eye on the roman catholic excesses down the road so we you know we you know we you end up like peter well actually and i find that the charismatic overlap in the roman catholic excesses they 
they over so similar. Huge. Well, they're, yeah. they're both they're driven by a type of superstition, aren't they? And, yeah. and then add to that the Arminian mix, which is like, now it's mm. your job yeah. to control the invisible world through your praying, through mm. your fasting, through your prophetic discerning mm. of, of, of Osmodnigo's name, and then you've got to do the battling. Oh, smart nigga. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we should use that name anymore. It's just the dude's name because I don't want to be invoking anything. Wow. It's like you might have stumbled upon it by accident. But I, still, I still don't want to go there. Harry Potter. <laughs> it, does, it does sound legit. I got to say. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, um, you know, on the one side, we, we all fear that. Uh, but on the other side, you know, and we were talking about Heiser, so we're, we're still sort of thinking along those lines. And um, one thing that does make me a little bit nervous about Heiser is that he has that Arminian component. But on the other mm. side, in direct opposition to everything we're talking about here, uh, I think he he um, he levels it up beautifully. He's just quite a boring persona with a boring message. And I, I do like that. I think that just is what exactly what the subject needs. Um and and it just very scholarly in the way that he approaches it and just very exegetical and so forth um but you know on the roman catholic thing um yeah i think i do talking about the disenchantment and whatnot i do think that you know probably a lot of what we've seen in terms of protestants going to rome has been you know maybe a lot to do with with this very because rome think, rome has retained yeah. that medieval sort of you know yeah. um narrative and understanding yes yeah. pre-modern yeah and um and so, you know, it has that and it, and it is, you know, I think, you know, th at that level, it's true. You know, there is something true going on that is, is actually, you know, uh, luring to people, which is maybe not the right word for that, but, but, um, uh, and just yet another reason then to just think more deeply about these things. So on that topic, um, uh, today's a big day. <clears throat> Round of applause, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> to my brother what? who has completed hey. his master's thesis oh brother yeah i've completed the thesis i haven't actually been marked yet so okay. i don't actually know if i've passed the thing it we, suck, so we'll we really don't care we just want to know about what you wrote you are already a master of theology to us there you go oh thank you that's very kind that's very e kind. even higher than that even higher than that um you are a great a great uh diviner no that's not right <laughs> That's right. Yeah, um, I like that. That sounds more. Sounds more like a, a master in my hand. Divine, it's just a divine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, you wrote it on this topic, right? And um, so it's kind of um, it's what you didn't do a research only program. It was kind of um, it was so you want to tell a little bit about program. It was a structured program, but you wrote like a capstone essay thing on this, or just just yeah. give us the lowdown. Yes, yeah, so it's King's Evangelical Divinity School, and it's uh, evangelical. Um, college that is accredited through Chester University, or was. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a, a really interesting program. You basically write uh, six smaller essays and then your main uh, mm. your main dissertation. And that together makes up a, a pretty standard master's thing. So yeah, really interesting. I mean, it is all research-based, so it is research-based, but you, you are researching six smaller topics of 5,000-word essays, and then you write a bigger dissertation as well and yeah. it's the specialization of the colleges on hermeneutics and evangelical studies and they also do like christian jewish stuff as well but that wasn't really my thing so i stayed on the on the evangelical studies and and um, hermeneutics side of things so really what my um, thesis is looking at is 
the invisible creation and tracing it through creation, fall, and redemption. So trying to keep it, trying to keep it as close to the central gospel message as I can, but also by seeing how uh, the whole invisible realm. So you know, Nicene Creed um, we, affirms creation, visible and invisible. Colossians does as well. So um, just trying to trace what happens to the invisible. What what can we tell? You know, not speculative, but what can we tell? about the invisible world from from what we're taught about creation what can we tell about what happened to that world by the, uh, what happened in the fall and what can we tell uh how does that world benefit from redemption as well so that's the that's the main thing and i looked at spiritual beings and places mm. and uh, of the invisible realm so awesome yeah that sounds really good um it, just on that pro, on the point, if anyone does is interested, uh, one of our elders at, at church is doing that same program. In fact, another guy in my Hebrew class has also done that program. So it's, it seems like a lot of people know about it, uh, although we didn't before you signed up. And no, I think. no, no, and, I didn't um, know about it. So it is, it's just yeah. a great, great program. So check it out. Um, <clears throat> and um, and then so you what's could next? you could possibly get that uh, that public that publishes like a journal article or something. You know, uh, as well. So if people are, I don't know if you. Uh, you tell me, or, Mike. I know nothing about that. That's Amazon self-publish, <laughs> or, or that, or whatever. Amazon. But 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 you know, just yeah. to if if people want to read this, uh, we can we can get it to them somehow. We will, you know, one way or another. And uh, but anyways, let's talk about it. Let's let's uh, you know tell us what you what you've discovered there. You know, what is the thing? What is the thing about the invisible realm? What have you picked up? Mm. What's 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 Heiser doing? What's he not doing? What's Klein saying about yeah. what Heiser's saying? I mean, I basically, so I, yeah, so I, I did mainly use Klein and Heiser. Okay. Um, but mainly because, like, really, while lots of people have written about bits and pieces, so lots of people have written about angels, lots of people have written about demons. Yes. Well, actually, when I say lots, I mean not that many compared to other topics. But, but you know, you've got a fair amount of writings. You pick up a, a, a systematic theology, for example, it'd probably be a section on angels yep. and demons. Yeah. Yep. Not all the time. But a lot of the time there is, but it's kind of like, it's yeah. either like a miscellaneous section yes. or it's like tagged on to the end of creation. So it isn't really part of the system, you know? Yes. yes. Um, so I think, I think the reason why you just have to deal with Pfizer definitely, but mm. also Klein mm. is because they've come the closest to actually trying to put the stuff into a system. Yes. So, That's you know, you, you'll get, you're getting like a, a, like some kind of, so Heiser's is kind of like, you know, his unseen realm is kind of like a biblical theology mm -hmm. where he's tracing it from beginning to end. It's not exactly that. Uh, it's more like an extended biblical study, um, but but it's coming close to it. But he's also got quick. So he, he brings in the Ar Arminian line, pretty, mm -hmm. pretty hardcore. Mm -hmm. He refuses to see some connections, um, uh, either because of an anti-traditional um, kind of bent mm. or because he just for whatever reason won't read the new testament the, the old testament a lot of the new testament sometimes mm -hmm. and there was just some really frustrating quirks like it, it could have been a much more rounded system mm -hmm. and so i was just trying to pick up on some of those gaps and mm -hmm. and you know um and avoid some of those pitfalls mm -hmm. but then also bringing in some of the things that Klein has to, um Klein has to say as well so mm -hmm. i mean the yeah i mean there's there's quite a lot to to cover, but it was just basically starting with the problem that, you know, I so I got I got quite interested in theological interpretation of scripture. I got quite mm. interested in um, uh, the, the, in theological retrieval. 
Mm. And that was so coming through be... a little bit um, with with our discussion last week as well. You know, just in yeah. interesting yeah. sort of, uh, you know, how does that work with all of this? You know, and it's an important question yeah. because Boastline and uh, Heiser tend to be on that sort of biblical studies train and uh, they're, they're not engaging with this great tradition in the same way. And um, and yet, you know, we're just not prepared to throw all of that away. So there's got to be mm-hmm. there's got to be a way to kind of look at this. In fact, <clears throat> hint, hint, perhaps that's a good Ph.D. thesis right there. <laughs> just, <clears throat> just um, you know, throwing it out there. I mean, yeah, I mean I've got a, I've, I can I share an opinion on the great mm-hmm. tradition? Yes. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's uh, what are the controls? It's more, I guess, a question pushing towards a, a, an opinion. What are the controls? you know, with all of our gains through biblical studies, what are the controls that can keep us safe as we go back to our tradition? When do we say, this is something we really need to wrestle deeply with, and this is just something that's um, idiosyncratic of its time and mm. need not be taken seriously. And, and, and I think something that's, my, my personal opinion would be that there are things that the church really wrestled over, mm-hmm. the deity of Christ, you know, the deity of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, you know, but but there's no there's no conciliar moment where they decided on the doctrine of Satan. And so you're going to find a disparate set of views scattered throughout the tradition. So I, I think it would be anachronistic or, you know, perhaps reductionistic to say, let's go back to the traditional view of, of Satan, um, where there's probably more than one. <laughs> And that the church never actually sat down at any conciliar moment and said, this is what we actually believe. Um, so, yep. yeah. Yep, that's true. So, uh, yeah, that, but, but, but they nevertheless are, are, are sort of trends and, and predominant views. Granted, um, and, and the, but there are many things that are wrong. Like if we go back to the early church view of ecclesiology, it's bishoprics, yeah. you know, baptismal regeneration. You go back to the early church view on divorce, marriage, and remarriage. It's no remarriage. You know, I can I can list a ream yeah, of yeah, topics. Loads of mistakes. But we would go yeah. go back and say, no, 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 no. Mm. You know, <laughs> but that's what's refreshing about engaging with someone like Heiser and Klein, because mm. on the one hand, you're saying, well, I don't want to just throw a tradition under the bus like it's a bad thing, mm. and say, like, oh goodness, you know, reading through ecclesial lenses is a terrible thing. But at mm. the same time, like you say. And there's tradition, there's tradition. So there's capital T tradition, which is what you're talking about. You're talking yep. about the, the creeds and confessions. But then there's small T tradition, which is just basically what, what has tended to be the case. Mm. And I'd put like, you know, infant baptism in that category. So mm. um, the, the, and, and, and there's absolutely no problem with, with taking the Bible and going back to small T tradition mm. and saying, mm. Well, hang on a second. That, that doesn't doesn't quite line up. And I think Heiser, that, that's the strength of reading someone like Heiser yeah, because he's yeah. not afraid to go there. Totally. Um, the weakness is that you know, you know, he, I, I, I don't know. You get the impression that he would want to rewrite the Nicene Creed if it came down to you know, like it was, <laughs> totally. it was that yeah. it was that kind of thing. You know. Exactly. So I'm basically I basically take a, a kind of position, you know, to put it to put it crudely, that don't stuff with the creeds, but everything mm. else you can mess. With. You know, well, yeah, I, I also found like, a, you know, you had that similar sort of thing, but probably we've mentioned this before, but maybe it's worth saying again with, um, you know, Heiser's, not Heiser, Klein's big, um, you know, slogan was, was, we don't do theology by counting noses. You know, we we, we look at the mm-hmm. text, we we uh, we see what it says. And, um, and yet, of course, he was deeply confessional. He was very, you know, uh, part of a, a very uh, 
um, uh, what is the word? Stone, no, strict confessional tradition. And um, at least uh, in terms of the Westminster. Um, and there was a freshness that that brought. That That is a good thing right there. Um, you know, when I read someone like John Walton, for example, um, who's also ancient Near Eastern, Old Testament, looked at a lot of Genesis. I mean, my goodness, you realize just immediately how how safe Heiser is, you know, and how, how you know, it, it's just okay. It's fine. You know, you're, you, he's, yeah. And you do get that feeling that he would rewrite things. And we don't like that because ultimately that I think no matter how good you are as a scholar and as an exegete, there's just, you just don't have the wisdom of that capital T tradition in yourself, you know, and it's just yeah. not true that the Holy spirit has only worked in and through you, you know, so th there has been this thing that we have to take very seriously in in the church, uh, you know, almost to the point that it kind of brings a little bit of a a, a, a little bit of a twang to our. It, it's like you've got to feel the tension with Sola Scriptura a little bit. You know, it's it's not that we're saying that it's not Sola Scriptura, but my goodness, you know, you cannot be saying Solo Scriptura if 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 that starts mm -hmm. happening, you you're immediately wrong. So you got to feel this tension a little bit, and uh, that's that's kind of where we live, and that's a good thing. Um, but uh, you know, as soon as you start to to go in one way or the other, you can see the problems that, that, that are going to emerge. Uh, you're going to come up with your own thing. You're going to start reinventing the wheel. You're going to start. Uh, you know, it's going to be fresh. People are going to love it. It's going to create a new thing. It's going to, but it's going to take you away. And then the on the other side, you know, it's, well, let's just let's just start counting noises at the end of the day. Let's just well, they said this, so let's just roll with it. Well, the minute that happens, we lose contact. You know, with with our our whole deal we, we we need we need this all to come from uh the bible if the if the reformers taught us nothing else it's that right so yeah you know this yeah. is where we i think my my interest was more to do less to do with you know who said what and how many believe this and how many believe that and more to do with the basic kind of approach the basic worldview behind how they thought about things that, mm -hmm. that i found that that needs to be that needs to be recovered, but not just simply recovered and copy pasted, but, you know, uh, recovered and adapted. Um, mm. So, you know, I, it's why I so, say, so, so I, I found it quite interesting that if you take say Klein, for example, and mm -hmm. you think about his, you know, his whole idea of ectype and archetype mm. and the way he talks about Eden and that you're looking at Eden and you're seeing through the Eden ectype, the, the heavenly mm. archetype. You know, mm -hmm. you're, you're literally seeing heaven mm -hmm. through earth, mm -hmm. and and I think it's it's all it's all tools like that that we don't. Sometimes we we you know are too quick to shut the door, saying speculation. You don't know about it, but also I think um, we need to be careful because sometimes we miss what is clear in scripture just because we don't have the tools to see it. Mm. And so I think that that whole thing, and, and, and I like the language that that Klein uses about sacramental icon. Mm. So you talk about things in this world being a mm. sacramental icon mm. of things in the other world. Yeah, like um, an actual icon, like a full, uh, like a proper icon. You know, the, like the a proper icons. temple, yeah, exactly. a temple yeah. with its pictures of angels on, yes. on the yes. walls. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Imaging. I like yeah. it's something real. Yeah, mm. and and it's and that whole idea that something is not just a symbol of something else, but is the the actual thing stands behind it. So when mm. you're looking at a thing, you're actually seeing the spiritual you know you're seeing the icon the sacramental icon of the mm. spiritual counterpart mm. and i think that that um that idea is totally lost on most yes. modern readers and yes. i think we need to recover that yes. and i also like um i know that 
I know that we've got some things to say and uh, to Hans Boersma about, um, you know, about his criticisms of of the Reformation and about nominalism and, and that kind of thing. But, mm-hmm. um, but the whole the basic idea of um, the kind of sacramental ontology, you know, that that actually everything in this life in in the material world is infused with a meaning that's pointing us to the spiritual world, the invisible world. Um, I think I think that's that that is the key to seeing lots of what's going on in the in the spiritual. So so when you're talking about um, the invisible creation, you might think at first glance, well, okay, you've got a reference to it in Colossians, but that's like pretty much all we know at that point. But then actually, if you read Genesis and you and you're coming at it through the lens of of Klein's view and of Bosma's view they're, they're ba- this hermeneutic actually these m- visible things are pointing us to invisible things mm. you're realizing that you're seeing the invisible creation all the way through Genesis mm. because it, it's all designed to take you there it's, it's designed to take your mind there mm. um so so uh, and- Andre I mean we're, we're, we're falling into the realm of natural theology mm. Now, mm. and natural revelation so as someone who holds to the reformed confessions I mean it's uh, there's always been I've, I've i've had lots of conversations with reformed people who feel the attractiveness of someone like jonathan edwards mm-hmm. who's willing to look at nature and through nature discover something about god that's not a text in scripture mm-hmm. you know where there's <laughs> that mm-hmm. that the, the all of creation is pointing to the glory of god in some way mm-hmm. so what are the what are the sort of the controls i guess that would the, what are the where's the safety belt so that yeah. we're not just yeah. we're not using it as a second bible that can you know, yeah, mm. yeah. Well, I, I mean, one of the one of the things that that I was I was doing was was linking it to the gospels, the basic biblical narrative. So, in other words, you know, if you can, the closer you can stay to the central narrative of creation, fall, redemption, and if it fits in or is is discernible through that central narrative, then you are, you know, you're not straying far from the Bible's central message. So that's one, one way, you know, if, if what you are perceiving um, through the visible of the invisible is directly related to what you're reading about in the basic gospel message that, you know, you, you can't stray too far wrong that way. But the other thing is, I mean, when Klein was talking about, he was talking about things that are actually explicit in scripture. So like, um, you know, mm. I mean, so this is this is again like Mike. I, I've tended to be to be to default to, you know, let the the clear interpret the unclear. But it's little things. Like, so like in Hebrews, we're told over and over again that Moses is making. I mean, in Exodus, we're told over and over again that Moses is making a copy of something that's in heaven, right? Mm. So when you when you're looking at the temple, and you're looking through the temple into its invisible counterpart. You're not doing anything that isn't explicitly stated in scripture. That's what, in fact, I would argue that's exactly what you were supposed to do all along. Wow. And, and because of the connections between the temple and Eden, then you know that when you're looking at Eden and and how that and that how that plays through all the way into Revelation 21, through the central storyline of creation, full redemption, new creation, you're gonna you're gonna find um a pretty clear scriptural directives. Um, to see the invisible through the visible, so you, you're actually on pretty safe ground there. So yeah. in in that sense, well, it sounds like you've drawn back from the Bosma universal statement of everything yeah. sacramental to, well, I'm going to allow the scripture to direct me to those things that have a deeper meaning, and I'll, I'm going to follow that all the way. 
So I think Clyde well, really I helps. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I just, yeah. because this is something I had to wrestle with a little bit with the neo-Calvinism, you know, because we know J.K.A. Smith, you know, I don't know if you've read his trilogy, really good, you know, uh, Desiring the Kingdom and, you know, all those books. I'm busy listening um, to the audio book. Oh, no way. Cool. Yeah, I was yeah, actually, yeah. I just, just started that. Yeah. So very similar in that he's, you know, I suppose at some level he's trying to sort of plot out a way, a little bit of a via media between, you know, some hardcore neo-calvinism and then the two kingdom thing on the other side and, and to just yeah but but one of his big motifs is that this you know all of life is sacramental and you know we, we it points us to this uh it, it allows us to live uh, as pilgrims in a way that that just lifts us upward all the time so you know and, and much of it you know i like it but i think one of the things that you do you know come into uh, this is what just coming back to your uh, initial thought there nick with uh you know what are the controls um I think that, you know, with Klein, you've got these beautiful controls. It's what I've always appreciated about it. And it do, it does fold into this, um, you know, common grace, redemptive grace, covenant thing, because it's like you're saying that, yes, you have these sacramental, iconic, like, realities, but they are, you know, related to, you know, it's not just creation, full redemption, creation, full redemption, consummation. There's a new creation in view there. Uh, there are, uh, it's in the realm of the sacred, you know, it's directly connected. It, it's from, it's going from the realm of the sacred to the new, to the new creation, to consummation directly. There's a, there's a link there. Whereas you've got a, this other realm and not to freak anyone else. We're not talking about completely sealed realms and so forth, but we've got this common grace realm, uh, which is where we find this natural theology component. And uh, it, it, there are no sacramental, you know, uh, things that are revealed to be absolute, sure, sacramental realities pointing to the heavenly realm. Um, they would have been prior to the fall because Eden itself was a temple, though. But that's, that's you know, that the, you can't just say that that comes through after the fall in the same way. So, you know, Klein's got no problem in going, look at the mountain, yeah. look at the clouds, look at the everything. They're all pointing, you know, look at the tree. Look at, look you know, at, look at the tree. He does. He goes, the trees are the holy divine light bearers that, you know, you know the logos yeah. light bearers and 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 you know all of that's great look at look at adam yeah <laughs> but as soon as you go into the fall it's like no now now what you're looking at is what is intruding upon this present evil age and that is creating the sacramental connection to the new creation you know so it's not just this creation for redemption like it just keeps going with a garden and now we just keep looking at trees you know uh, th there is there is a, a, a you know a higher well, I, I am pushing yeah. for that a little bit as well because i think so one, one, one of the things I I came, you were saying. <laughs> yeah no so well I, I guess i'm just starting with what is you know what we what we can say most explicitly you know and what what is easiest to prove but then you you know you, you venture out cautiously and there are other things that you can also begin to show from scripture but then they set a precedent and exactly when those those things end is is hard to say but i think that even in the fallen world and i think this is what to some extent, um, I think this was what Bosner. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a, an expert on, on Bosner at all, but I just kind of latched onto the, to the to the basic concept of what he was I was getting across. But you know, if you go to like a medieval uh, cathedral, like a, a Gothic building, and it's it's covered in gargoyles and and those kinds of things, it was really interesting. Is if you listen to uh, I, from time to time, I tune into Jonathan Pedro's um symbolic world podcast 
And you have this really interesting episode about the purpose of these things and, and how they would kind of um, kind of help us to understand evil. And in these ways, they created a kind of view of what the world, so, so you'd look at the gargoyle, you'd see in the gargoyle that there are these kind of beings around, even if they aren't visible to you all the time, these kinds of be beings existed and you would see that lesser evil and greater evil and, and, you know, and all these kinds of things uh, that were all kind of present in the architecture of buildings. And we've kind of lived in a world where all of that is stripped away, where we basically live in conference centers. And, um, and so we, we, some of it is saying we're just trying to recover that kind of what are the what are the are the windows into the invisible world that God has given us, and that works positively. So mm -hmm. I think Klein's very good at pointing out the positive things. Mm -hmm. But what I what I've also discovered, and and to my surprise, is that there are negative or like sacramental icons. So maybe mm -hmm. you call them anti-sacramental icons. But there are some references to, say, for example, um, demonic beings uh, and that mm -hmm. kind of thing that you would just uh, that that um, that are very at, at first glance the, the standard modern English reader would read it and think that's just talking about an animal or that's just talking mm. about some howling creature or whatever. Mm. But actually, when you see it in the context of the scriptures and you take mm. another look and somebody points out to you, hang on a second, there are some natural creatures being listed, but there are also some mythological creatures being listed, mm -hmm. and they're listed in the same breath. And, and you got all these together. translation issues going on and text issues. And then it's also that, so, and, yeah. so so again, it's just taking that second look. But but again, so you're meant to look at, say, for example, the the reference to the to the jackal in the wilderness, mm -hmm. and and because it's listed with all these other mythological beings, you're thinking, well, what you should be reading into that is some is seeing it as an icon of evil and desolation and but sacramentalizing and it. I mean, I guess what I'm struggling with is the language because we know what a sacrament is. Yes. You know, and it's, well, do and we, if, I mean, if we use it in the most loose term of the sign and the thing signified, mm -hmm. you know, then, yeah. then, then we've reduced it to describing spiritual things signified by physical things. And, and, and in, that case, in that so. case, it's technically correct. Yeah. But, but, but a sacrament for a Christian is, is are those two things that have been appointed by God, mm. where God promises himself yeah. the benefits of the But I think that is Christ the difference. So I, nobody is saying that there are a thousand sacraments, you know, like, yeah. like that's why I'm struggling with the language because it sounds yeah. like sounds like a panentheistic. Sounds like it will reduce where, the actual yeah. importance of the actual sacrament. So, like you, you know, that moment where we're supposed to feel that connection to heaven through, you know, the the divinely yeah. appointed sacraments. Like you, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to intrude on that at all because you want right. that to be completely separate. You know, so yeah, but well, I think that's say, true. But, and, but and it's yeah. getting at like if the problem is if you, if you think if you say okay, well let's let's ditch the word sacramental and you just go for hey, well look, I, I'm not precious about the language. If we can yeah. find a better way of putting it, I'll, I'll adopt it. But yeah. but I think the reason it was helpful for me is because as I, I would normally I would normally talk about it, it, the symbolic reality, you know. Yeah. So, so, but what you would get from that is, oh, this is a symbol of something else. The reality isn't actually there. But when you talk about a sacrament, you're saying, well, it's not just a symbol. The reality is also there as well. So if you're talking about, um, you know, Eden, for example, as a, a sacramental icon of, um, of, the, of the divine throne room, then you're saying it's not just that Eden represents the divine or the spiritual, the invisible, but that Eden overlapped with the mm. 
the invisible somehow. It was mm. there as well. It was sacramentally there. Mm. Um, but no one's saying Eden is a sacrament. You know, mm. so so I think we, there is, I think there's very clearly a distinction there. And maybe the the language isn't all that helpful, but it was helpful to make that point, I think. I know what we do now. Yeah. We, we we take away the language of sacrament for the Lord's Supper. We just go with we just go with ordinance. Ordinance. <laughs> hey, haven't Baptists done that already? <laughs> oh yeah, wait a minute. Mm. But uh, I guess I guess another word, and this is um, uh, I've got a little I've got a little context here. You know, you, you're triggering me all the time here, Andre. Um, <laughs> iconology. So, you know, if you think about an icon, I remember uh, there, there are 600 Anglican bishops in the Anglican Church. And I met one of them, the Lord John, the, the Lord John Salt. That was his title. It had to be addressed as Lord, and uh, I never did. Uh, <laughs> no doubt. And uh, so anyway, <laughs> yeah. we were having a, a conversation, and he was talking about icons. And I told him that I was a Reformed Baptist, and he's like, "Oh," and he thought he'd have a little moment to have a dig at me. And he 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 decided to talk about icons, and he said, "Oh, you know what? Most people don't really know." And he's, he's talking about icons are not an attempt at art. You know, they're not an attempt to, to give a, mm. a, a good physical representation of what someone actually looked like. And therefore, you know, Michelangelo is the best iconologist because his is closer to the truth. So you need to do that. It's, it's that spiritual moment of discerning the virtues in the saint that you're painting. And, yeah. and, 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 and in the whole process of the Holy Spirit guiding you as you're painting this, this thing and getting you in touch with that virtue. As you're painting that person, the icon becomes that that it communicates that reality to you, and you and and it's 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 the touch point where you tap into that spiritual reality, and it's uh, I'm worried that everything becomes an icon in the mm. sense that um, <clears throat> it's it just becomes a because the, the whole thing with sacerdotalism is concretizes the spiritual, where, where it's 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 paradoxical in the sense that Christ becomes literally physically spiritually present mm. behind a thing which you mm. can then take hold of and manipulate mm. um and it's 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 yeah it's it's a form I get of it. totalism yeah, i get it so when it's, if you yeah. think of jonathan edwards for example are you happy with that or not you think he went too far or i think jonathan edwards was just a very imaginative person who would who would who would who basically has a a, a good reformed theology saying well the heavens declare the glory of god all of creation mm -hmm. is a finger pointing to the reality of god mm -hmm. god has put his fingerprint on everything and now that you're born again now that you have the holy spirit now that you have the lens of scripture to help you to see what is there to be seen mm -hmm. you can enjoy that and use it as part of your meditation and worship. But sacramentalizing and iconology has a deep spiritual part that's not just meditation. Yeah, it's, it's, it's risky it's language. That, it's that, yeah. it's, it's yeah. that union. It's that it's it's something deeper, something more. So yeah. I would I would definitely separate those two things. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I I appreciate the or sympathize with the level of of um uh kind of uh what's the word uh, kind of suspicion, I guess, about yeah. about the language of but um but that being said, you know, I, I'm really not precious about the language. That's just the best language that I've come across to 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 articulate. Sort of these correcting ideas. the pendulum in a little, uh, in some ways too. It's, it is a little know, bit. But I, again, if if someone think comes up with a, a kind of an equally, again, symbol doesn't cut it for me. So I yeah. I can't talk about a symbolic uh, view of the world because it isn't. Uh, it, it doesn't yeah. quite. Well, C.S. Lewis using the language of fairy tale, maybe maybe re-enchanting the universe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you see, then again, you go yeah, down another kind of fantasy fiction thing, exactly. and and because like so, you know, um, 
part of part of my mind is thinking already about C.S. Lewis and about Tolkien and about the Inklings and about how they were deliberately trying to do this. They were mm. trying to use fantasy and fiction to uh, to to kind of help people's minds grasp sp the spiritual realities. But I think there's dangers down that end as well because you can end up turning all of the reality of scripture into basically into fiction. You know, you can, you can, you can sweep it away into the fantasy, fantasy genre. And do you like, that's very different. But yeah. So that being said, I, th I think there are dangers with language. Yeah. But I, th I think so, what, what the instinct that you're feeling, some people have felt with uh, Platonism as well, like mm, Platon, mm, yeah, Platonism, sure. the, you know, the Neoplatonic, you know, there is a, the world mm. out there beyond this world, mm -hmm. which is more real than this mm. world. And that's what we mm. want to get people in touch with. And so we'll use Plato and Platonism to, to, to help people to recognize that there is a shape to the universe, which is different than what we just engage with in it, uh, with our senses. As you can, again, yeah. you can feel the kind of bristles on the neo-Calvinist spine exactly. at that point, you know, exactly. Just, yeah. Just this is this is all we got, guys. This is or we can just like tell people the Bible is true and they should just read it and they'll get it. <laughs> well, okay, just before we get, before we get but but they but they stupid. will also yeah. But 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 also if you tell people, look, the Bible is true, read it. They are going to read it, but they are going to read it as modernist readers, and they are going to miss a lot of what the Bible yeah. is, is talking to. And and they, or at least they might get it, but it'll take like for me, it's taken like thirty years of like. Well, not quite 30 years, maybe 20 years of of like serious Bible study and theological study to get to the point where I'm seeing some of this stuff. And I just think it would be nicer if there was a way where Christians who started to engage with the Bible were made aware of it, you know, earlier on in their Christian yeah. life, because you just, I just feel like I've missed quite a lot. But you construct I, your own materialism. Yeah. 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 One thing I um I can really resonate with and empathize with this is this idea, like you want to um you want to hang on to i think the overlap you know not just the symbolism but the the overlap or the um you know what klein just blew my mind with and i'm just so thankful for it is is the way that you've got i don't like using the word because it sounds too science fiction because you know the, the, this these inter, this interdimensional reality almost you know with the dimension of heaven um superimposed over the dimension of earth so to speak and it's not like some place far away but here they are and you know elijah's servant sees it every now and again when when his eyes are opened and it, it's all happening uh, you know in this way that's really uh related um so the overlap is i think we have to find language to bring that through more clearly and then and then the other thing that i was thinking and i still want to think i'm hoping to write a little uh paper about this or something um c.s lewis's theory of transposition you know we've talked about symbolism and we've talked about sacraments but transposition is is a is actually quite a good way to think about it i think because what he's he talked about this um you know if you if you think about an orchestra you know it kind of touches on the platonism thing as well um if you think about an orchestra it's you know it's 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 composed you know for for a million different instruments there and it's going to be beautiful when you hear it but it can also be played on a piano you just have to transpose that 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 music you know to to work on a piano and when you hear the piano it's it's truthfully the same music you know it's 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 the same thing it's just not as glorious you know uh it's not heaven it's earth and so there is from i think that works really well in terms of what we're saying here because because from the beginning god created but always with this end in mind to have the orchestra playing it's full in in its full glory 
Um, and Adam didn't have that. And it's wrong to think that he did. And this yeah. is where I think the neo-Calvinist era does come in. They they are stamping their stamp on that one and going, this is it. And we got to get back to that. And that's that's the, the yeah. thing, you know. But we're saying, no, the, the, for Adam, even before the fall, there was a greater orchestra awaiting. And uh, yes, everything that he saw there, uh, you know, and, and even in glimpses into that orchestra, but even in the natural world uh, that, you know, he saw, he heard true piano. You know, it was, it was, he was intended to hear the, the true song. But and right throughout history would have heard that true song, and so should we try and hear that true song. But it's not the orchestra, and and yet the orchestra is in the same music. So, anyways, I, there's something there about the overlap that I think that is really helpful to bring these ideas together. Yeah. Hmm. Nice. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think I guess so. Uh, a, a danger, another danger, while we're flagging up dangers, might be. Um, that we then end up with a view that says everything, everything that was in the worldview of an ancient Israelite must become part of our worldview. And, you know, ob ob obviously that's that's something that we would be, you, you'd want to be very careful with. So there is going to be discernment along the way as well, right. because, I mean, everything from cosmology all the way through to... Yeah. Four yeah, corners like the, of the earth. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, and even just like, people forget that... <laughs> Israelite religion was pagan, man. You know, those guys yeah. did not do a good job of keeping a pure religion. So if it's in the context of ancient Israel, <laughs> I'm always yeah. like, uh, did you read the story in the Old Testament? Like they yeah. were they were uh, yeah. they were they were doing things they shouldn't the whole way through. So, you know, it's not like yeah. that automatically justifies it. Exactly. And I think that'd be a big because you do find yourself saying things like, oh, but that's how an ancient Israelite and Haz yeah. is always saying that's how yes, an ancient always, Israelite yeah, yeah. would have read it. And you're thinking, yep. yes, yeah, I mean, that's probably true. And that's a challenge. And then as I came along and rebuked him for it. <laughs> you know, yeah, well, like I mean, that's that's exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and uh, but yeah. Now, go on. Nick. No, I was going to say, uh, my, I'm just my John Knox is coming out of me now. Oh no! Um, <laughs> oh, no. Everyone yeah, step back. Uh, I'm back. just just thinking of the the golden calf and how people sacralized it. You know, this is the god Yahweh yes, that brought yes, you out of the yes, land yes, of yes, Egypt. Yes, yes. Good point. You know, here's here here yeah. they made an icon. They made a totem. They, they made, made a sacrament. Icon, totally, yeah. Um, uh, out of and they made it of the real god. And yeah. and God took issue with the you know the regulator principles should be coming in and saying guys you have to if you if you are, are deciding to penetrate the spiritual world if you're going to reach out your hand and try and touch God and you you dare to come apart from Christ in the way that He's appointed you know and you just decide to to make your own icons and and sacrament sacramentalize the world as you see fit um, you know. Yeah, adding all and this I don't data. Think, again, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. and, and I, I, you know, so exactly. Th these are the dangers, but I, but again, I don't think that's really the intention behind the language that either Klein or Bozeman no. I'm just uses. I've got I've, I've got yeah. my own conversations in the background where I'm thinking of people who uh, okay. praising okay. the process of of painting your own icons. You know, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. You need new friends. Yeah, and <laughs> I I mean on the subject of, of you icons. Guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. On, on the subject of icons, though, the thing I found most interesting about iconography, and I I, I do like iconography. But iconography or iconology? Mm, I don't know. I like the artwork. <laughs> so um, I like to look at them. They're pretty. But the, 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 the thing I found interesting is the way that when they, you know, in the Orthodox world, when they revere the icons, when they kiss them and bow down to them and that kind of thing, um, that what they see is that these saints basically were 
representing God to them. So what they're actually bowing down to, what they're actually reverencing is the spirit of God in that person, the kind of holiness of God that they see in the holiness of the person, which I thought was interesting because they're actually viewing a kind of saint in that way as, as an icon in and of himself. Just like the Israelites were worshipping Yahweh in the golden calf. Yeah, and what's crazy is like, would would, would they be classed Regular in principle, an, brother. I am a reformer. <laughs> I just recently like, so, and also would Heiser class them because they're then spiritual beings in the intermediate state, would they be Elohim? What, the saints? Yeah. Yeah, totally. So they're bowing down to Elohim. To the gods. <laughs> <laughs> It's getting worse. I think my John Knox is coming up. (laughs) And I don't even have a John Knox. John Knox went around all the cathedrals. I I had my grandfather was a, I visited Scotland. My grandfather was a professor of physics there and uh, didn't see him very often, but he took me around to all the places and he knew I was a pastor. And he spoke about that terrible John Knox who went around all these beautiful Catholic cathedrals, poking out all the icon all the stained glass windows. <laughs> I remember the story of when he, uh, you know, he was on the slave ship and, you know, captured for however long and in the galleys there. And, and, uh, and then they, you know, he's been whipped all day and beaten all night, you know, it's just, just John Knox style. And then they bring them out, all the slaves out to the deck and, but, you know, they have to kiss Mary as, as the statue is passed by. And, and so he, you know, he's in chains and everything and he grabs Mary and throws her overboard when they bring her out. <laughs> yes. And he goes, he goes, let's see if our fat lady can swim. And then, of course, he got beaten within an inch of his life as a result. It's worth it. (laughs) What a dude. Yeah, but I I think, you know, okay, so those are some dangers. But I I do think, again, there are some, whatever, however we term it, is trying to understand that behind things that you know behind things that are described in visible terms are invisible realities. Amen. So there is example, an invisible world. Yeah, we are supernatural. There's an invisible world, yeah. but also that God has designed this world to direct our minds to the invisible. So there are, Amen. you know, and and there are obvious examples like stars, you know. Um, yeah. But again, so I think really interesting Psalm eight. Um, you know, when I consider the stars, the works of your hands, was man that you are mindful of him. Uh, but immediately goes on. You know, he is made a little lower than the angels. You know, uh, and or at least for a while, a little lo- lower than the angels. And so the, the psalmist, like in his mind, he's going straight from from stars to thinking about man's relationship in the cosmos compared to angels, right? So, so I, again, the psalmist is looking at the stars, he's thinking angels. And obviously, you, 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 know, you, you take that and you go back to the scriptures and you see references to stars and angels mm, all the time. Mm, mm. But you miss it the first time around. And I guess that's, that, that's really at the heart of what this is getting at. So you're actually saying, no, 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 hang on, you're meant to look at the stars. And Gavin Ortland, I was watching his video um, uh, on Angel Fall Theodicy. Uh, he, he just put out put out a video on that, and he was talking about C.S. Lewis and in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and how you know one of the the stars or one of the characters is a star, mm, yeah. and C.S. Lewis is trying to draw, um, trying to draw this this very point out that mm. actually God has designed the cosmos in a way that you're meant to look at the stars 
and think of angels. Mm. Uh, you're all, you know, and angels in turn are meant to point you to the greatness of the creator. And Pris Caspian falls in love with the star and they get married. Oh, Genesis oh. 6. Isn't that the oh, story? Yeah. Ooh, that is, well, I don't know if they actually went through with it, but uh, you know, yeah. There was, was a thing. Was, Genesis 6. I don't know if there was a wedding ceremony. I don't remember. All, all my daughters like picked up on the fact that there was a crush, though. Yeah. <laughs> they all immediately like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, guys, can we just carry on with the story, please? Uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. and, and another one, uh, so, so there's a positive, but I think also an example of the negative one, which is really interesting, is, and again, obvious when you think about it, but but the, the way that earth and shell are always parallel, you know, the earth and the dirt and the, uh, you know, and the grave and dust, the supernatural dust. world behind them. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are clear references to dust and to earth that are obviously not talking about, uh, the, you know, while using the language of the visible realm are actually talking about the concept of the invisible realm. Yeah. And it's not just or, a symbol. So dust, it doesn't it, you know, to dust you shall return. Isn't it speaking about the realities of the fallen creation as opposed to, you know, there's yeah. A... yeah, Sheol. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole realm of Sheol is a fallen world concept. Like, the, the, yeah. you know, didn't exist in the original creation design. Um, so it's, it, not part it of the, it's not part of the new creation. It's just part of the invisible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's a kind of, well, basically, my, my, the way I conceptualize it is, is it's that a, it's a fallen aspect of heaven. You know, so when you talk about the invisible realm, you talk about the third heaven. We won't, we won't get into that particular <laughs> quagmire again. But, yeah. but you think about the third heaven, and now Sheol is basically just still that third heaven, but it's the fallen aspect of it. So, yeah, um, when Paul talks about the heavenly, the warfares um, and the super, and the powers and forces in the heavenly realms, he's talking about that fallen aspect, and that's often portrayed through through dirt, for example, or through through earth and that language, which is why Satan being hurled down to earth, um, both in Revelation and in in Genesis, is is really important, and in Isaiah and in in Ezekiel. Mm. Good, yeah. Well, I think what we're saying is uh, that we definitely need to uh, up the game, you know, in terms of just some. It is depressing reading like your average evangelical systematic theology on on uh you know angels and demons or something it is just it does make you want to go roman catholic i'll admit it you know you just it's well just inter ridiculous. interestingly the best systematic that i the, the systematic that engaged most with it the two i, I think so kelvin yeah. gives it a reasonable go but again he's just so like hammering on the like yeah. the Roman excesses door all the time. Yes. So yes. that just taints everything that he says. Cause you're just mm. thinking, I, I would like a positive view mm. of angels rather than just an anti-Roman view of, of angels. But then Gerald Bray. Okay. Um, yeah. He's an imagine. Anglican. Yes. He's an Anglican, I think. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So he, he gives it a fair go. And, and, okay, cool. you know, again, I, 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 I think that probably shows in the Anglican mm. tradition, there probably is a bit more of an openness to the idea of, of thinking yep. about um, mystical concepts and um, and that kind yeah. of thing. So, Nothing in the thirty nine articles, but yeah, yeah, yeah. no, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But at least there's not a section. So, you, like, did you enjoy Grudem? Because I know Grudem, you know, brought some of the charismatic depth to the the whole question of you know principalities and powers, and you know, if if Jude talks about angels being kept in darkness in chains, 
who are the demons then? And you know, he he shows us that it can't be all the angels that are, are kept in darkness because there are some who are demons. Problem with Gruden, yeah, I take was, a different view. Just, I just I just take it. So yeah. so Heiser takes that view as well that the angels are in in chains, and so the demons of today are actually the spirits of dead Nephilim, uh, the Rephaim. Is that is that Heiser? Uh, yeah, that's how yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's charismatic theology, bro. Yeah, pretty much. But, but I, I think the whole thing is mis- yeah. What now? That's where, that's where I was, was exposed, exposed to, to good theology. Yeah. So Heiser is what I've been trying to get away from my whole life. <laughs> no, I have... Uh, oh, by the way, I just finished... <laughs> I've been talking about this book. Um, It wasn't called... It's, there's another book by Brian Godawa. Or how do you pronounce Godawa? Godawa. Godawa. That's the guy. Don't read his books. Don't read his books. Dude, oh, is that the, the one? That's the, that's the one. one. Bro. You were talking about that. Hey, I, you gotta no, fill me in, yeah. I'm feeling left I think it's like that's I that's like soft called porn. Do not read that guy's books. Really? Yeah, wow. these gods raping each other with like statues and like, wow. dude, it, you do not want to read those books. No way. I got I, I got those books for my kids. Thinking, know, did, did you awesome, see? Here's just a little bit of biblical informed fantasy, and I'm, it, my boys will love this. And so, it's like, wow. Because I did notice that he he put out a whole, like, there's a kid's version of all those books as well. Okay. Young, well, the then, young uh, that version. must have been after so many parents complained because it's, okay. it's just because I went looking for Christian literature for my kids to, to read. Yeah. Yeah. And, got, it looks very, like, it looks cool. It's like this 10 well, volumes. I, I can describe to you a scene and it will, it will, you will, you will revolt in shock and horror. Wow. Crazy. Okay. Don't do that. Don't do that. I don't want to. Uh, but well, let me give you some of the details without going into the glory. Like, I'm trying to make a point here, though. It's Baal and Ashtoreth are two of the Elohim. Oh, my goodness. They're actually fallen angels, but they're both male. But what? But Ashtoreth is, actually takes on a female or transgender god. And they, oh. they have a an SM type relationship. SM? Sadomasochism. BDSM. That is so strange. I might have to edit this out. Yeah. Okay. You... But I, I didn't even give you the details, guys. So that's that's just that's a rough sketch. Was that like you know, with the leather and stuff? <laughs> yes, they're wearing leather. <laughs> <laughs> I put BDSM for your context. S and M is just enough. Um, okay. <laughs> so, what was I saying about this guy though? Godawa. That was yeah. Brian why, why did I bring him up? Because you were like there's some books. Links. There's some books up and reading some books. No. Oh yes. Literally... Uh, he wrote a book about when there were giants. Okay. Um, that's the book I have wrongfully been talking about. That's the title. I haven't read Brian Godawa's book. I've just, when I've, when I've mentioned, it's called the sons of God, the age of giants or something like that. It's Van Dorn, <laughs> just so that we're clear on that. Cause I think that that might cause some, um, some confusion yeah, with people that, especially in light of this point that Nick's uh, raised here, but. Well, I mean, Godawa in his, in his, cause I, I read it. I was very interested because. I read yeah, his biblical like, worldviews thing. That was really good. Well, for, for no. me, it's like reading Left Behind. You know, it's it's fun oh, okay. Christian science fiction. He's, you know? he's like a hardcore. <laughs> uh, he's a hardcore neo-Calvinist, though. So you know, that's kind of where I've. Yeah, I but he say. also in his books in his research, he studied Islam and in their angelology as well. Okay. And sort of he tried to weave in a mm. lot of ideas into one, mm. and it's yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, so so the, the other one, Van Dorn, Reformed Baptist guy, actually, he's very very. Uh, very interesting, uh, interesting character. Actually, he's written. Um, I've mentioned a few books of his already on the show. We might even get him on because I think he'll he'll just be a great guy to talk to. But anyway, so uh, if you'd be open to it, but but um, that book, 
really got me thinking about this Nephilim thing. Uh, just just on that point, I was very dismissive even last week. And then that the the latter half of that book, <clears throat> man, he put some stuff down there that actually I need to think about. So you know, just to just to push back a little bit on your charismatic theology experience, there, Nick. Um, oh, it's definitely worth reading. Let's put it that way. Uh, yeah. So there's some crazy things that he says, and you know, but it's always nicely contained within a Reformed Baptist theology, I think. And then also, just you could tell he's he's just reasoning it through and uh and, and there are some some points that he makes there that you've got to you've got to come to you've got to be able to explain one way or another so anyways that's just for free well i we just think that's that. one of that whole thing about demons not being fallen angels but being the spirits of dead i mean i'm sure that could be part of it but it's just it's just obviously false like in the new testament talks about angels as fallen demons i mean sorry angels demons as fallen angels hmm. and and it's just one of those weird hazardisms where he just he just has a being is bonded about something that's just not necessary, mm. and that whole thing I just kind of reject because I think what what is referred to as the being bound in gloomy chains is Sheol. I think that's what's going on there. So mm -hmm. it's that fallen aspect of the invisible realm. That's where they are. That's where they're cast down to, as opposed to the unfallen aspect of the invisible realm. So uh, do you think that from the position of chains and darkness, they're able, still able to engage in tempting and possession? Yeah, I think so. Because the if you think about, again, I mean, so on on the basis that uh, like, Satan is like, currently yeah, chained, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say that, yeah. on the basis that Satan is currently chained in the book of Revelation, yet he also prowls like a roaring lion, I think that that is the, the kind of, Okay, so you're um, reading it through that lens. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I actually just prefer Grudem, who just says, "Well, some are and some aren't." That's why. That's why I thought Grudem was oh, good, 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 good analysis. I know, but <laughs> but if you're just trying to be consistent with that language of what it means to be chained or cast down and that kind of thing, I I, I think, I think it just yeah to create a category where some are stuck there and others aren't. Yeah. I just doesn't make any my, sense to me. Yeah, my impression of the text is that they're kept in like they, there's this and it's. They're kept yeah, they under are. judgment, and it's not only them, but it's also those who have died. So, two, uh, two Peter three verse nine, also yeah. uh, two verse nine. It also talks about those who are unbelievers who have died, who are likewise kept. And there's that away yeah. from the land of the living part, and there's that. So that's, well, that was I took them. So, I took them as standing and falling together. Yeah, but but again, so I I'm not I'm not 100 convinced that anything in scripture is 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 clear. That the fact that you know the spirits of dead people can't cross over the from the realm of the invisible to the to the or th that there's no kind of cohabitation between the realms because there is overlap. Do so you believe in ghosts? I believe ghosts are in Sheol. So the the departed departed spirits of un of unbelievers are yeah. in Sheol, right? So which of Sheol bleeding in and out of our existence? Which of or Hades? And no, and I do believe those the, their realm overlaps with ours, which is why our world is, is part of the reason of it's part of what makes our world fallen. So um, that's why demons can, you know, certainly in the Gospels we see demons coming back and forth, uh, and they run. You know, it's it's like the whole pigs thing. You know, they they get cast out of the legion, get cast out of the dude. They run into the pigs. The pigs. So when people say you know it's it's hell on earth. You 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 go aha! You don't even know how much you're saying. Yeah, well, shield on this. Let's not get carried away. Hades, yeah. Right. I, uh... But it's so interesting. Just interesting. So it's an interesting thing. Okay, you you do have um, 
Uh, so you have the witch of Endor in Samuel, okay, which is described as uh, you know a, a medium who has this kind of conjure, conjuring pit, and uh, she's obviously famous enough because Saul and Saul's desperate enough that he's willing to skirt along the the outside of the Philistine camp, so very close to them, and risk being caught just to go and see her, which means that that Saul and his companions which is all believed she was legit. And it's a look how the giants were in that area too. So strange. One side. So they so they yeah, exactly. So so basically that they, they clearly believe she's legit because they're willing to risk their lives to go and see her because you know Saul needs to get some advice. They summon up um they summon up Samuel and he comes out of the earth. He comes out of again, there's that language of earth, but clearly meaning Sheol. Right? He comes out of there. And so you do have this, and, and, and then everyone's, and she's terrified, and, and most modern commentators will say, well, she's terrified because it actually worked, whereas she was a charlatan, never worked before, mm. but now she'd done it and it worked. Mm. But that's very obviously not why she was scared when you read that passage. She was scared mm. because it was when she when Samuel comes up, she realizes that it's King Saul. King. Right. And the king has issued a, the death of anyone who doubles in the occult. So, mm -hmm. um, so she's terrified of her execution. It's very, very clear. And then you, you get from that and you think, well, why, again, it's just a modernist thing. We're reading it. We're thinking, well, that kind of thing can't happen. We have an evangelical uh, thing, which I'm not sure where it came from, that says it's absolutely impossible to communicate with the dead. Um, and so we say, therefore, it must have been like a freak thing brought about by God's uh, kind mm. of providence mm. um, that she had not expected. Therefore, she's scared. And, and otherwise, all of this stuff is nonsense. But I think, you know, when you're reading the laws forbidding this kind of thing in in mm. uh, the Old Testament, it paints a very, very different picture. That actually, no, it's not that this kind of thing is impossible to do. It's that it must not be done. Um, and and that it is possible and therefore very dangerous. And, the, and the, again, it's... It's crossing of the realms. It's blend. It's it's where God has created order and distinction. It's blending uh, the boundaries and crossing the boundaries that God has put in place. And then you get to um, Luke sixteen. You talk about the rich man Lazarus. Mm. And it's just interesting to note. There's very very clear that there is a chasm between the rich man and Lazarus, but it doesn't talk about any chasm between the rich man Lazarus and the living doesn't mean that they can cross freely because, you know, he's saying, please, Abraham, send someone or, or you go. And, uh, you know, uh, and so, he, so he, it's not like the man is just simply able to get up and cross over to the realm of the living. But the, the, that's not where the chasm is fixed. I've got your word um, for you. The haunting of the visible. Oh. Yeah, haunting. <laughs> what would be the positive? What would be the positive version of that? Well, you're not well, painting the positive. Sheol and earth are of the overlapping spheres. Yeah, but when you're talking about when you're talking about mountains, the hell is in heaven, and heaven I is on earth. Earth is in hell. Mountains and trees. One needs the fantasy tree to help you see yeah. the. So I mean, nothing coming back to the Witch of Endor, and we've, where we've been going on for a while now. But um, I mean, the, I guess the the common pushback is that that literally was samuel by god's ordination who came to deliver a last prophecy and that that's that's if we're going to interpret the uh difficult in light of the clear you can't take that as a test case for proving a whole worldview of how spirits do and don't operate and the i guess the the common pushback is that 
of course these things are real but not because we we have the ability to manipulate the spiritual world as if there are a, you know, a sixth sense that we're, we're just failing to tap into but because there are demons who do deceive us when we when we delve into those sorts of things and i think that's fine but i th i don't see that that's just as much of an assumption you know there there are places you don't want to go but there i mean what is clear is that from the scriptures that people constantly are trying to do this and they must not do it yeah. and 1 samuel is clearly a portrayal of uh 1 samuel 28 is clearly a portrayal of someone who does do it and again Mike, so the thing that interests me is not so much like whatever. Okay, it's just one text. And again, I don't want to use it, like you say, to do more than it, than it can carry. Um, but at the same time, I just, I'm interested in why we assume it can't be one thing. And, and you know, where, where, where is the, where are the clear biblical texts that talk about how it's impossible for ghosts to exist? Where are those? Well, texts? I guess my understanding was, you know, man, dies once and then he's kept you know there are these keeping places the prison the uh the kept but, that's in judgment. Shield, but we know that shells and overlap of yeah but it's ages. you know it's you're making it this you know it's what's what's the word i'm looking for permeates <laughs> you know that's that it's constantly moving in and out the two existences are, are yeah i think that's the picture you see in the gospels and i think yeah. that is very clear that heaven and earth and Sheol and earth are constantly coming into contact all the time. Yeah. I mean, God is, so, is sovereignly able to do that. And he can pull back the curtain and we can see things. But for us to pull back the curtain ourselves is another issue. Um, hmm. But again, I mean, so th there is an assumption that we, that we can't do that. But all throughout history we know people have attempted to do that yeah. and I'm, again I'm not, I'm not saying we we understand fully or that we're dabbling in things that we uh, that we're not dabbling in things that we don't fully understand yeah. and then i guess and my understanding all, was you know the prince of the power of the yeah. air of the air those who are under deception those who are in satan's dominion who've been handed over to satan who satan's ha has a, 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 uh, an authority to deceive that mm. as they engage they will mm. be able to engage because mm. the, the devil is you know, he sends them strong. God sends them strong delusion and helps mm. them to believe the lie by these things being real when they engage with them when they're under mm. judgment. So, uh, I guess I guess there there is a larger possible explanation which seems to make sense to me. But yeah. but I mean, but but just think about so so what we do know again. So if you think about one Corinthians ten, you know, it is not the cup of. Of of the Lord of partition with a uh, uh, participation, participation with him. Not the, in. Amen. Is not is not the cup of demons. Yes, exactly. But, but so, we're so, all so we're all okay that's... with demons though, and and the yeah. demonic realm, right? I assume we're it's the, the spirits of human beings that yeah. are accessible to us. That's the issue here. Yes. But why? Why make like again? I, I yeah. if they're in the same realm, which I think is well, I think from my study is fairly clear that they are. You know, I'm not saying the experience of everyone in Sheol is the same, but that it is the same fallen aspect of the invisible realm is clear. So it's, it's they are in that supernatural realm. Yeah, I, I guess... again, I think it's pretty pretty standard. I, I think it's pretty straightforward, actually. Anyway, so that's 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 one point that I think just needs pressing. I think there's I mean, a lot of what I'm enjoying about your what you're saying is that you know you're assuming that we're spiritual beings who have spiritual 
capacities and abilities and you know we, we, the, the holy spirit's living inside of us maybe there's a real engagement with god that you know it enriches our spiritual experience i'm all happy with that side of things mm. but to to then be able to unlock the prison door to where you know christ has the keys of death and hades he's the one who who, had, who went to the place of the departed spirits and, and made proclamation and led captivities he took the captives out of them you know and to 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 say that we've got the keys that the witch of endor had keys to go to places where you know it's no, but yeah, okay, yes, I understand, but I'm, I don't think they are talking about the same things. So I think we'd need longer to unpack exactly what was going on. But I do, certainly, we don't have the keys that Christ has, absolutely. And I wouldn't want to go anywhere near that. But that, that isn't what I'm talking about. It's not about taking people from Sheol to heaven. It's not about taking people from Sheol to paradise. Or just opening the door and going in and having a look. <laughs> or letting someone stick well even up. that even that like i i don't I, you know i'm not saying as well that you know some very clever sorcerer person could conjure a portal that would take him into the realm of shield body and all but i'm saying that there is an overlap and that's clear because there are beings in shield who interact with our world i.e demons and i'm saying that the witch of endor is 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 an example of a text in scripture where the being the being in question is not a demon, but uh, the spirit of a of a dead human. Yeah. So, um, and and so I'm saying I'm just wondering what the, where the countertext is that says that actually especially that's not possible. if in uh, if you do buy into Heiser and that you know both the demon and the departed spirit of 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 uh, or, or the person I suppose of um, Samuel are both Elohim. You know, they're they're all classed as spiritual beings anyway in that exact same bucket. So it's sort of yeah. Yeah, and and also, I mean, what isn't so? While I don't think demons are only Rephaim, Rephaim are demons and or or are Elohim, and Rephaim are are dead human spirits. So I mean, the unclean spirit of the New Testament, I think, is a is is a question mark about. I I I I think we should do at this point. The rest goes on the Patreon account. <laughs> ah, beautiful. Yeah. Well, beautiful. I mean, here's uh, the whole Witch of Endor thing. I mean, uh, there's a couple of assumptions that I think you're assuming. So, you're, you're, so let's let's take the Old Testament um, intermediate state as uh, suggested by uh, Luke 16, because that changes after Christ comes. But let's just say that's the case. There's this chasm. So the Witch of Endor was able to cross the chasm, go get Samuel and bring him out. Because you've got the chasm, there's the unbelieving side, and then there's the chasm, and then there's Abraham's bosom. Well, he doesn't actually leave. Where this, where this, yeah, but what I'm saying is, you know, here's, here's God's protected saints, and she's able to go and ransack and knock on the door right. off and communicate with those who are, who are kept by God for the, for, for, for the new heavens and the new earth. Um, and she, she can just go open that door. And you know, doesn't he call, say call that? Well, they are kept, but I mean, they're kept. Doesn't in, he so, say so who's like, disturbed my rest or something like that? Or is yeah, that me? He's disturbed my rest. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, he's having a great time, but but at the same time, that is a place of hope and longing. That isn't the. It's not the same security as what New Testament saints yeah. enjoy. But also, there's no entering. There's no ransacking. All she saw was she 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 conjured up a vision. That is it, a window, if you like, like a view of. There's no entering or leaving. Or, no one goes anywhere. Yeah. So I, don't, I, I just don't think. I, yeah, I, I, think I think there are I more assumptions in your, in your view than mine. I guess I've gone right. for the same so direction. What we need to do here yeah, is uh, go into round two with a master's defense. 
the defense <laughs> we will be the council and this will be fun um and we can call this episode the conjuring <laughs> haunting the of conjuring. the conjurer oh, no. um okay okay good uh, i gotta i gotta draw it to a close because otherwise it's too long to upload my stinking computer can't handle it so so we have to we have to chop chop this thing um but i'm telling you i'm on something with our patreon account i think we can make some money you guys i think it's, <laughs> it's, it's the end of our, our pastoral poverty <laughs> you know you just gotta keep talking which vendor and just keep plugging patreon account and we're good um one time now we'll come back to the subject for sure i'm about to start reading some more cool stuff on the side this is fun this is good we'll talk more about it um and that's a wrap <laughs>